every time I see that, I told, I told first service, every time I see that, man, I just get chills all up and down my spine. It's got Vin Diesel's skinny little brother jumping out from the crowd. Didn't he look like Vin Diesel except skinny? And Jesus is like, silent. Get out the way. If it had been Vin Diesel, Jesus might have been like, come on, follow me. You're a big guy. I need you. Glad to have you. Are you good to be here? My name is Stephen Moore. I'm the associate pastor here at Love and Truth. Again, I told you, uh, Pastor Eddie is at South Campus with our South Campus guys celebrating one year anniversary. And uh, you guys be in prayer. Pastor Sherry has been in the ER all night with her dad. So we're praying uh, that God can do only what he can do. So throughout the day and throughout tomorrow and the next few days, would you guys just please remember our pastors in prayer because they are always keeping us in prayer. And you know what we need to do? We need to keep them in prayer as well, okay? Awesome, awesome. So glad you're here. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here too. So we've been spending a few weeks in this series called Son of God where we're answering this question, who do you say I am? And so if you're just joining us, the first week we talked about Jesus being the Son of Man. And that terminology refers to Jesus being fully God but also fully man, that he left heaven that he came to be with us on earth, that he gave up all of his rights, all of his powers of heaven, left the throne there, came down to be with us. And he experienced every single thing that you and I could imagine that, that, that we've experienced, every heartache, every heartbreak, every discouragement. The God who spoke the earth in existence had to learn how to speak as a child. The God who healed the men and women who couldn't walk had to learn how to walk. The God who fed thousands upon thousands with a few fish and a few pieces of bread had to learn how to eat. He grew just like you and I, faced every temptation just like you and I, yet he did not sin because he was fully God and fully man. And then the second week we talked about, um, we talked about, hold on, what did we talk about? The sinner's friend. We talked about the sinner's friend and we see Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector. And we see Jesus spending time with tax collectors and sinners. And, and the Pharisees are want to know to, to the disciples, why does your teacher spend time with tax collectors and sinners? See, the tax collectors were so bad, they didn't even fit with the sinners. The sinners did not want the tax collectors to be put in the same bracket as them. So they created a whole nother category for the tax collectors. So it's sinners who were bad, but then the tax collectors who were even worse. And Jesus is even calling the tax collectors. Jesus says, I didn't come for those that are healthy. I came for those who are sick. I didn't come for those who are self-righteous, but I came for those who are sinners so that I can make them righteous. And then last week, Pastor talked about Jesus being the anointed one. And that he was sent with the anointing to set the captives free, to heal the hurt, to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the sick. And that as we follow him in salvation, and as we follow him in the waters of baptism, and in the Holy Spirit baptism, that, that we can receive that life that is promised for us in John 10, 10. That life that is more than abundant. That life that is greater than we've ever dreamed of. And that Jesus, the anointed one, has been at work in this church in the last week. Since last Saturday, we've baptized 13 people in this house. Come on. Wednesday night... Wednesday night, we had 19 filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and some of you, come on, we can clap to that. Some of you may be like, 
I don't, I don't understand about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's new to me. That's okay. It was new to me at one point because I grew up a good old Baptist boy, and I thank God for the Baptists. I learned a lot there. But then I found out about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I have not been the same since. And so if you're a part of this church, let me just encourage you. You're going to hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it's nothing to be afraid of. It's something to be embraced. It's a gift, just like the gift of salvation. And I, I, I can tell you 100%. Guys, that I could not be doing what I'm doing now without that gift and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because by nature, I'm, I'm, I'm a shy guy. I'm nervous. So it's not but, but the power of God working in me that I'm able to do that. So Jesus is the anointed one to come and set us free. And so this week we're talking about Jesus, the coming king. That he is the king that the people of Israel have been looking for to set the people free, to set up a new kingdom. He was the king that was fulfilling the prophecies. And the video that we just watched is, is kind of a stark contrast to how Jesus came into this world. Jesus came into this world kind of um, unknown, born in a stable, put in a manger. You know what a manger is, right? A manger is simply a feeding trough for animals. So he was laid in a feeding trough. And nobody, nobody spectacular, nobody grand showed up at his birth. A few wise men and a few shepherds. And then, and then he was serenaded by some angels. But other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of people coming out to see Jesus. They wouldn't even let him in the hotel. They would not let his mom and dad in the hotel so they could give birth in a nice room, so to speak. Instead, he was born in a barn. And so then we see him in this video, in this clip, and we read in Luke chapter 19 about the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. See, over the course of Jesus' ministry, his ministry kind of picks up momentum. He heals some people. He raises some people from the dead. He feeds 5,000 men plus all of their wives and children with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And so he kind of catches people's attention. And they start following him around because he's doing some great things. They jump on the Jesus bandwagon, if you will. They want to be a part of something great. And we're notorious as humans for jumping on bandwagons, right? We just finished up the NCAA tournament, the basketball tournament. And we, a lot of us were rooting for the underdog. Nobody had heard of them. But then they started winning a few games and catching some popularity. And we become instant fans. Right? That's how sports works. You have these few loyal, you know, devoted fans that come, you know, do or die, they're going to be fans. In the losing season, there's not very many of them. But in the winning season, everybody, like back in the day when the Bulls were rocking it, everybody was a Chicago Bulls fan, right? Before they were rocking it, it was like, it's just the Bulls. It's nobody. I, all right, I went to Adamsville High School. We're predominantly known for our basketball and baseball, not so much for our football. The football team started at Adamsville in 1951. From 1951 to 1959, Adamsville High School football team won this many games. That is not 11. <laughs> Put it together, you get two. Okay, so in nine years, we won two games from 1951 to 1959. In one game, they lost 99 to nothing. <laughs> they had a total yardage of minus 25 yards. One guy ran the ball 88 yards the wrong way for a touchdown for the other team. Okay, so the whole time I was in high school, they maybe averaged two or three wins a season. wasn't a whole lot. There weren't a lot of people going to the football games in Adamsville. You could, you could literally take a handful of gravel and throw it in the stands and not hit anybody. You just hear the gra gravel just kind of land on the bleachers. 
nobody was showing up at the games. In 2006, they got a new coach. That year, they, they won like four or five games. And the last two years, they've made it to the state championship. So I went to the state championship the first year in Cookville, which is about three and a half, four hours away. The place was packed out. Adamsville literally shut down. I saw some cops over on the sideline drinking some coffee and had some donuts. It's like, who's watching the town? You could have broke into every house. You could have broke into the bank. You could have filled up with gas and not paid for it because everybody was at the football game. At the home games, you had to park about a quarter of a mile from the field and walk and stand and watch. But see, it was, it was no longer Adamsville. It was the veal. You know, you come to the veal where you're going to get taken down. <laughs> we started winning some games. And people jumped on the Red Rage bandwagon. They were supporters. They were huge fans. That's just human nature. You know why? You know why we want to back a winner? Because we want to be a part of something great. We want to be a part of something special, something bigger than ourselves. And that's human nature. I mean, if you, if, if you look at the music industry, the entertainment industry, the print industry, nobody you know, really cares until things start getting noticed. And then everybody's a fan. And that's really part of the reason we come together here as a church every Sunday and every Wednesday because we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to live for something greater than ourselves. And so we come together and we worship this king that we're talking about today. We're worshiping our God Jesus because he's so much bigger than us. And we want to be a part of something so much bigger and so what we see here in this clip is, is people are welcoming their king into Jerusalem. There's been these prophecies about a king that's going to come and set the people free. And when he comes riding in on a donkey, he's specifically fulfilling one of the prophecies which is found in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. You don't have to turn there, just, just write it down and go back and read it. And this is what the prophet Zechariah says. He says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, for your king is coming for you. He is righteous and victorious, yet humble. He's riding on a donkey, and I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle, and your king will bring peace to all nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. And see, what the people were hoping for when they saw Jesus riding in, fulfilling this prophecy, is that a new king was coming to free them. You heard the little guy say, free us from the Romans, Lord. And I don't know why they have a British accent. <laughs> They're in Israel, but for some reason they have a British accent. He says, free us from the Romans. See, in their mind, Jesus was setting up a natural kingdom, freeing them from a natural visual enemy. But what Jesus was actually coming to do was set up a greater kingdom that can't be seen with our natural eyes. He was setting up a kingdom. In the scripture, it says that, that will, his realm will extend from sea to sea, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. But it goes even beyond that. It goes from heaven to earth. See, it's, it's a kingdom they didn't understand. It was a freedom they didn't understand. It wasn't a freedom just from the Romans, but it was a freedom from the greatest enemy, the last enemy, the freedom from sin and death. 
And so today, those of us here that are believers, those of us that are Christians, we kind of understand that. We see that. We understand that, that Jesus the King has come and he has established his kingdom. But we also know those of us who are following Jesus, that Jesus is coming back for that kingdom. That he's coming back for that kingdom once and for all to set everything straight. And so today, we have some work to do, those of us who are followers. Paul, Paul calls us this. Paul calls us representatives. He calls us ambassadors of Christ. And as ambassadors of Christ, we have a responsibility of expanding God's kingdom. As believers, you and I, we have some things to do. So if you're here today and, and you're checking this whole church thing out and you're just checking this whole Christianity thing out, we're so glad that you're here. But you know what? You're off the hook today. You're off the hook, and, and I hope that something I say maybe you can glean from or, or, or lean from. But I, I really need to talk to those of us who are following King Jesus, who, are, who have made him our Lord and Savior, because we have some things that we have to do to expand God's kingdom. The first thing that we have to do, if you look in Luke chapter 19, and kind of the, the, the precursor of what we saw earlier, Jesus has a conversation with a couple of his disciples. Before he goes into town, he tells a couple of his disciples, he says, hey, we don't, we, we don't know if it's James and John, we don't know if it's, if it's Peter and Matthew, we don't know who it is, but Jesus sends a couple of his disciples into town and says, I want you to go to town, I want you to untie a donkey that hasn't been ridden, and I want you to bring it back to me. And if anybody has a problem with you taking that donkey, tell them the master needs it. Now, in my mind, when we read scripture, we just kind of think that's how it happens, but if Jesus is sending me or somebody's sending me to untie a donkey and bring it to him, and I have to pick one that hasn't been ridden, conversation's going to play a little bit like this of me and the other guy. Well, what happens when we get there and there's more than one donkey in town? How do we know which one hasn't been ridden? Okay, say we go to untie that donkey and the owner comes out and he says, what are you doing with my donkey? And we say, well, the master says he needs it. <laughs> the master says he needs it. What if he swings? Do we swing back? Do we, what, what, what do we do? They, they didn't fully understand what was going on, and so they bring the donkey back, and Jesus rides it into town. See, they were being obedient. This is what we have to do. This is the first thing we have to do. We have to do what Jesus says. That seems so simple, but so many times we fail to do what Jesus tells us. That we have to do what Jesus says. That one act of obedience... No matter how awkward or how strange it may have sounded to the disciples, that one act of obedience, going and untying that donkey, bringing it to Jesus, it allowed him to get into town. That one act of obedience made a way for Jesus to get into town. So for you and I, what is it Jesus is asking us to do? I don't think he's asking any of you to go out and rob cattle or steal a horse, or a donkey, or anything like that. But, but what, is it is, what is it he's asking you to say yes to? What is it specifically he's asking you to do? What is it he's asking you to say no to? Who is it he's asking you to talk to? See, we, we, we read the book of Matthew, and we read all of Jesus' teachings. He asks us to do a lot of things. In the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us all these, all these things that he's telling us to do. And, and, and two in particular, it says, to love the Lord your God with everything that's inside of you. And he says the second is just like it, to love others as yourself. And then later on, he even ups that one just a little bit. He says, I don't want you just to love others as yourself, 
but I want you to love others as I have loved you. See, me, I love all y'all, but I'm human, and I can get impatient. I love my kids, and I show them that constantly, but I can get impatient, and sometimes my actions don't always say I love you, because you know what? We're flawed. We're human. We're imperfect. But Jesus says, I want you to love others as I have loved you. So what does that look like? What does it look like for us to do as Jesus says, to love others as he loved us? That means to forgive. That means to forgive even when it's difficult, when that person has hurt you to the core, when that person has betrayed you to the core. You forgive them, not just one time, not just two times, not just three times, but seven times, seven times, seven, over and over and over, however many times you need to forgive that person. That's what you do. Jesus talks about serving. He says, I've not come to be served but I've come to serve others, even offering myself up as a sacrifice to others. So as believers, you and I, we have a responsibility to serve others. And you know what that means? Not just to serve the people we like or the people who serve us, but who? Even the people we don't like. Even the people who disrespect us. A few months ago on, on Night of Blessing, I talked about how Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And he washed everyone's feet. He even washed Judas' feet. Knowing Jesus was going to be betrayed by him, he stooped down. He didn't pass Judas by and say, you're about to turn on me in a minute, so I'm turning on you now. No, he stooped down knowing Judas was going to betray him and served him in that moment. So even for you and I, what we have to do is we have to serve even those we don't like. Because what that does, that little act of obedience that you and I follow, that little act of obedience, here's what it does, guys. It provides a way, it provides an avenue for Jesus to get into your workplace. It provides the way for Jesus to get into your family. It provides a way for Jesus to get into this community when we're obedient. Because we're allowing Jesus into that opportunity. And that can be hard. How many of you would say that the teachings of Jesus are hard to do that? Okay, well, let me, let me help us see what should motivate us to do that. One of the things that should motivate us to do that is this. We need to see what Jesus sees. Because when we see what Jesus sees, it helps us do what Jesus says. When Jesus was riding in to the city in Luke chapter 19, verse 41, it says this. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept. As he saw the city, he wept. There's this party going around him, a celebration. People are dancing, people are singing, people are waving palm, palm leaves and laying their garments on the, on the road, and he's focused on the city. There's something about the city that he sees that causes an emotion in him. It causes him to start weeping for that city. And I wonder if the disciples saw it. I wonder if anybody else saw it or if it was just Jesus. One of my favorite Favorite scriptures is found in Matthew, and, and, and Jesus is, is before the crowd, probably much like this. And he pulls away from the crowd, and he takes a look at it, and it says that, that he sees the crowd. And it says that when he sees the crowd, that he is filled with compassion, because he sees that they're like sheep, lost and confused without a shepherd. See, he looks past the crowd, and he sees the faces. 
Those of you that, that, that grew up in, in the 80s and 90s, there was this cool thing that came out for a season. It was these 3D posters. And it just looked like a bunch of shapes and colors and, and everything on the front, right? But if you looked at it long enough, this 3D image came forward. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Children of the 80s and 90s know what that is. And so I could never see those things. Anybody else have a problem seeing those? It's just like, it's just a picture to me, man. I don't see what are you talking about. And so my, my, my five-year-old sister at the time, she was like, Stephen, Bubba, how can you not see it? I see it. I'm five. How do you not see it? And so we go to the flea market, and I'm, I'm, I'm a teenager, and, and this guy's selling these posters, and he's trying to explain to me how to see it. And he says, listen, here's what you have to do. You have to get real close to the picture, and you have to relax your eyes and look into the picture. I'm like, dude, I look at pictures. I don't look into pictures. What are you, like Like Mary Poppins? You just can't get into a picture. Like, how do you? And so, so here I am, a teenager, trying to be cool, and I'm standing like this at a flea market on a picture, hoping nobody sees me so I can just make this little magical 3D thing happen, losing cool points. And so he says, what you have to do, you have to relax your eyes and look into the picture and then step back. So I relax my eyes, and I'm looking into the picture, and I start stepping back. I got nothing, man. What do I do next? What do I, what do I, what do I, and so I try it again, and I get real close, and I'm trying to look into the picture, not at the picture because there's a difference, and I'm looking in, and I start stepping back, and this image just appears before me. And it's like this coyote over here on a cliff that's howling, and there's like an Indian over here by a fire, roasted marshmallows or something, and you, and you can't move your eyes because if you move your eyes, then you lose the image. And so I moved my eyes and I lost the image. But I saw it just for that moment. Just for that moment, I was cool. Even though I was a teenager at a flea market looking at a picture, I was cool. Follow me on this. That's what we have to do with people. We just can't look at the outside. We have to get close enough sometime to be able to look into their lives. And that's what Jesus did. See, that, 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 that person at work that annoys you, that lady who dresses the way she shouldn't and you see her going from relationship to relationship to relationship, that's just on the outside. See, Jesus sees the inside. See, when we get close enough to those individuals, we see that, okay, she's doing that because she's wanting attention because she's never had the attention from her dad that she needed maybe. We see that guy who acts all tough at work and, and, and he cusses people out and he pushes people around or that bully at school or that guy on the team who does that. It's because maybe he's insecure and, and he's bullied at home so he takes it out. See, Jesus looks into those situations. He sees into that. So as Christians, we have to look into them so we can see what Jesus sees. And when we're able to see what Jesus sees, then we're able to do this. We're able to feel what Jesus feels. We're able to feel what Jesus feels. It says that when Jesus saw the city, he wept. Those of us who are Christians, those of us who are following Jesus as our king, we need to let what breaks his heart break our heart. When we see the world the way it is today, we need to be moved with compassion to do something about it. We need to let the things that, that anger him anger us. We need to let the things that excite him excite us. We should get excited because Jesus gets excited when we're baptizing people. It says all of heaven celebrates when one comes to Christ. 
We should get excited about that, and that should motivate us. We need to see what Jesus sees. We need to feel what Jesus feels. One of the last things that we need to do to expand God's kingdom is we need to share who Jesus is. We need to share who Jesus is. And, and we'll look at, at, at John's depiction of this triumphant entry. This, this triumphant entry is in every single one of the Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is what John says about it in John chapter 12, verse 17. It says, Many in the crowd had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him. They had heard about the miraculous signs. See, people were talking about Jesus. People were sharing about Jesus. They had seen Jesus raise people from the dead, and they weren't keeping it a secret. You know what the best marketing in the world today is? Not Facebook or Twitter. Word of mouth. Word of mouth. Word of mouth. In John chapter 4, John chapter 4, there's, there's a story of Jesus having a conversation with a woman at the well. And this woman is not the most righteous woman. She's not the most holy woman. She's been married four or five times and she's shacking up with a guy now, but Jesus still stops. He has a conversation with her. He doesn't condemn her, but he has a conversation with her. And then the woman, when she gets through the conversation, it says that she goes into the village and she begins to tell everybody, hey, come see a man who has told everything about me, who knows everything that I've done. And so she's telling people, and then it says they come streaming out of the village. Not just one or two people, but the whole village comes out. And at first, the people begin to say, hey, lady, listen, we believe because of what you said. But then after they begin hearing Jesus, they beg him to stay, and he stays for three days. He stays for three days, and they have a revival. And then at the end of the three days, they come back to her, and they say, listen, we don't believe just because of what you said. But we believe because we've heard ourselves, and now we truly believe that he is the Savior of the world. See, what those people were doing in both those passages is they were doing this thing the church called, calls witnessing. And that's one of the responsibilities of a believer. One of the responsibilities of a follower is to witness. Now, out there, witnessing has a very negative connotation. Witnessing seems to be the guy on the street corner with a megaphone and the tracks thrown at people. Telling everybody, you're going to hell. You're a sinner. Repent. There's a place for that at times. But we look in Scripture, the only people Jesus talked to like that were who? The religious people. My heart was broke a few years ago because I was on one of those late YouTube wormholes that you get into. We were watching videos and you just kind of go from one to the other. And somehow I stumbled upon a video of my old college alma mater at Austin Peay. And there was, there was a guy there who had one of those, it, it almost looked like one of the little Fisher-Price karaoke systems from back in the day. It had a microphone connected to it. It was like a little speaker box, and you get it too close, it's And so he's walking around campus, and it's lunchtime. Him and another guy, and they've got clipboards, and, and, and he's wearing like a, a, a straw hat and shorts, and he's yelling at people. He's calling them adulterers. He's calling them whoremongers. He's calling them sinners. He's telling them to repent or you're going to burn. And some people are laughing and some people are just walking past. And so I was feeling pretty bold that night. So I, you know, I was reading the comments and I thought I would put my own comment. I was like, listen, man, I went to that school. I was in a fraternity there. I did other stuff on campus there. But the people that are doing those things, they don't know Jesus. And you screaming at them is not going to help them. 
And I don't remember what all else I said, but there were no other comments after that. Here's what the world needs. The world doesn't need us yelling at the world how bad it is, but yelling in the world how good Jesus is. Okay? Yelling in the world how good Jesus is. And not just pointing fingers, but getting down and serving. You know, instead of being the guy that goes to Mardi Gras with the signs and the megaphone, be the guy that goes to Mardi Gras with some free cab tickets so people get home safely. Or I said first service, some baby wipes. You know, if you walk past someone and they're throwing up and you're really brave, clean them up. Because you do that, I guarantee you they're going to ask in between whatever, why are you doing this, man? And you'll have a res- and, and, an opportunity to respond. First Peter 3.15 says this. It says this, and this is one of my favorite verses. It says, worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, I'll always be ready to explain it. See, because when we're doing what Jesus tells us to do, and we're seeing what Jesus sees, and we're feeling what Jesus feels, then we're worshiping Christ as Lord with our life. And by serving people, people are going to see that in us. And they're going to want to know, hey, why are you doing that? Why are you helping me? When you take time to listen with someone who's struggling with an addiction or going through a divorce or has a loved one that's dying of cancer, when you take time to sit and listen and to serve, they're going to want to know, hey, why? Why? And that is a perfect opportunity to say, well, because Jesus. Because Jesus. You don't have to know all the scriptures and Romans and all this. All you need to be able to do is like the woman at the well and say, let me tell you about a man who told me about me. See, when you do that, then God's kingdom expands. People who are outside of the kingdom come into the kingdom. People who are lost get saved. And we're coming up, guys, on, on, on I've told you, the, the Super Bowl Sunday of the church. It should be a thing all week long, but you know what? Jesus said, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. And so for those of us who are the workers, we've got some work to do until our king comes back for his kingdom. And so I don't know what that is for you. What is it, what is it today that Jesus is asking you to do? What is it he's asking you to say yes to? What is it he's asking you to say no to? Who is it he's asking you to see in a different light? Maybe it's somebody you pass every single week, every single day. You pass them and you just write them off. Step back from the crowd. Look into their life. See them in a different way. What is it he's asking you to feel? Who is it is he asking you to share him with? Because as we do that, we expand his kingdom. And so for those of you who are here today and you're not a part of God's kingdom, maybe you're here just checking everything out. Let me tell you, with you listening, everything Jesus did was specifically for you. He built his kingdom. He came to earth. Everything he did was specifically and purposefully for you. Scripture in Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, he endured the suffering of the cross. Let me tell you what I believe that joy is. I believe that joy is you. I believe that joy was me. That he saw us in our mess, in our insecurities. He saw us in all of our mess ups and knew that that cross that was before him and that pain he was fixing to endure, that when he goes through that, the joy that he saw was us being brought into the kingdom. 
a kingdom that will never end, a kingdom that has peace, a kingdom that has healing, a kingdom that gives us that John 10, 10 life, a life beyond anything we could ever dream.